All right, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to New Philly Hongdae. Uh, how many of you in here, you are college students? College students in the house? Make some noise. Ooh. All right, it's good to have uh, all of you in here uh, for today's worship. Earlier this year, I covered uh, a sermon series on wisdom with time. The theme of our church's uh, year, the, the theme of our year is the year of wisdom. And so earlier this year, I preached on wisdom with time. And then I did a sermon series on wisdom with relationships. Over the summer, I covered wisdom with romance. And today I'm going to begin a three-part sermon series on wisdom with the body. Everybody say body. Wisdom with your body. I warn you in advance that the upcoming sermons may be a little bit offensive. Just prepare your hearts to listen to the full counsel of God. Because I am not one that has been known to pull the punches. I will let you have it as it is. Uh, But today, um, as I begin this sermon series, you know, there are a lot of many... There are a lot of religions and philosophy systems that teach that the human body is evil. And I don't know if you've leaned toward that presupposition, but let me go over a couple of philosophies where uh, Western thought has been very much influenced by these two systems of philosophy, and Christianity included. Uh, there's something called Manichaeanism. This was a philosophy developed by a Persian named Mani in North Africa back in A.D. Uh, 207, 250, 260. He died in 276. Uh, he developed a cult that combined elements of Christianity with elements of Zoroastrianism, the ancient religion of Persia. And according to Manichaeanism, the human body, like all physical matter, is the product of Satan and that it is inherently evil, whereas the soul is made of light. And the only escape from evil is to flee the soul, uh, to free the soul from the body through the practices of asceticism, like fasting and, I don't know, beating your body, I don't know, asceticism and meditation. All right? And so, Manichaeanism teaches that all physical matter, including the human body, is inherently evil. And then there's Neoplatonism. This is a system of thought developed by the philosopher Plotinus, Plotinus uh, in AD 204 to 270. Uh, this guy used Plato's ideas and created this system of thought called Neoplatonism. In Neoplatonism, they make a distinction between the physical and the ideal. And they teach that the soul is perfect but it is trapped inside of an imperfect body. Because the human body belongs in the physical realm, it was considered the root of evil. Now, the theologian Augustine, although he disagreed with various points from these two systems of thought, he was heavily influenced by Manichaeanism and Neoplatonism. I personally love the theologian Augustine, And I believe that the church is greatly indebted to him for all of his contributions. But as Christians today, we must be discerning 
when we read his writings, whether they are coming more from the influence of scripture or from the influence of Western philosophy. Now, the belief that the human body is evil can be persuasive when you consider the many negative effects we struggle with as a result of the human body. Overeating, addictions, sexual immorality, aging, indigestion, all kinds of diseases and allergies and diabetes. Mental illness can be also caused more from a physical side, a medical condition, etc., The desires, appetites, and malfunctions of the body can be so intense that it is understandable why a lot of people feel like they are slaves to their human body. You know, sometimes you want to go out and play some basketball, but your knees will not obey you. You may want to go out for a hike, but, you know, your acid reflux is acting up again. You know, we may feel like slaves to the body. But the biblical view of the human body is vastly different from Western philosophy and Eastern religions. The Bible teaches us that our physical bodies were created by God. And that when he created it, he said, it's good. Everybody touch your your body and just say, it's good. This is good. Scripture reveals that God delights over our physical bodies. It's not an accident. It came about like this, like evolutionists may teach. God's idea, it's God's design, where to put the nose where it goes. To give you two eyes instead of three. To put a belly button on you that won't go away. That doesn't really serve a function after you're born. You know, it's just God's design to give you a buttocks so that you can sit and, and they come in all different shapes and sizes. <laughs> and this is all God's design. The human body, this is what the Bible teaches. Uh, there is nothing inherently evil about the human body. Uh, the desire for sex, the sex drive, these are not evil things. These are, once again, God's design. Now, the problem of evil entered the world when man chose to rebel against God. This is the the biblical um, account. And through sin, many negative effects came forth, not only in the spirit realm, but in the physical. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we like to talk about when we sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, you know, we became dead spiritually. But we often overlook that. Not only are we dead spiritually, but the moment Adam and Eve sinned, God promised him, you will physically die. He promised him before when he warned them not to eat of the fruit, fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And Satan said, you ain't going to die. God's trying to hold stuff from you. He's withholding good things from you. You need to go and eat of that tree to find out for yourself. And what happened? Adam and Eve didn't die the moment they ate the fruit. But let me tell you, they eventually died. And that death was not by original design. That was not part of God's original design. Death entered the world, according to the Bible, through sin. And with sin came physical disease, deterioration, death. All of this was not part of God's original design. 
Thus, God, seeing man's fallen state, decided to come up with a plan to redeem mankind by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world, by the way, in a human body. Jesus could have come in just the spirit form. But no, Jesus came in human body. And by the way, he didn't just come like the Terminator as a full-grown man. <laughs> Jesus didn't appear one day. No, he came in a little, as a little baby, a little fragile little baby. A baby, like, you know, I'm about to have a baby in a few months. And as an as a upcoming parent, you know, one of my greatest fears is, like, I'm just going to trip over my own foot and then, like, and then, you know, crush my baby or something like that. Babies are so fragile. They're little, they're little helpless little things. They're totally up at, at your mercy. But imagine the son of God, the creator of the universe, according to the Bible. He comes to earth as a little baby, a little fragile little baby. If Mary and Joseph, they tripped along the way. I mean, Jesus could have grown up with like a, a, a flat nose or something. You know? With a big old scar across his forehead. You know, he just came as a vulnerable baby in a human flesh. If the body is inherently evil, then Jesus would be disqualified to be the savior in the religion of Christianity. Because if, if the human body is inherently evil, then the moment he became a baby, then evil has already tainted him. And he is disqualified to be the holy and perfect sacrifice for our sins. But we know this is not the case. Uh, the human body is not inherently evil. Jesus lived in this human body. He lived a sinless life. And then he died a criminal's death. And then on the third day, Jesus rose again from the grave in a physical body. What does that mean? The Bible tells us that the resurrection of Christ is the first fruits of a bodily resurrection that all of his followers will share in. He is a pattern of what we will experience at our resurrection. When Jesus returns and he, and he culminates all of history and he brings forth the fullness of his redemption, at the day of that redemption is going to involve the resurrection of your physical body. 1 Corinthians 15 articulates this. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. If you belong to Christ, the Bible promises that this physical body, when you get old, and let's say you die when you're 75 years old, you got creak in your in your knee and, and, and pain in your back and you're getting all, you're all wrinkled up and that's how you die, the Bible promises that when Jesus returns, you're going to be resurrected in a beautiful, hopefully 30-year-old body. We don't know exactly what age, right? It's going to probably be about, you know, 30 because that's when Jesus was resurrected. And that's usually about the peak, right? You peak around 30. All right, I, I'm still peaking. I'm 35, but I, I feel like I'm still peaking. I got a little more peaking to do. Anyway, any 35-year-old, 40-year-old will tell you, man, it starts to go a little bit downhill from here. That's why NFL players, they need to retire when they're about 30, 35. Because, you know, the body, 
you know, the Bible don't obey you like it used to. You're not able to push it to its, uh, to its limits like you used to. Anyway, I want to talk about the NFL. Um, so Christian theology teaches clearly that the physical body is not evil. Everyone say, the body is not evil. Christ died to redeem and make new our entire being, soul, spirit, and body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your body, let's talk about the physical body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, your body is a temple. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, you are not your own. You are not your own. So for every person in here who has put their faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior, every Christian who has been redeemed through the cross of Jesus Christ, you are not your own. And we're not just talking about your soul and your spirit. We are talking about your physical body. Your physical body is not your own. You cannot separate and dichotomize your soul and spirit from your physical body. That is the influence of Western philosophy. That's the influence of all kinds of Eastern religions. It is not the Bible. The Hebrew, the Jews, if you look at the Old Testament, had a much more holistic view of life. Because the God of Yahweh, the God of the Jews, always brought forth a theology of, that was holistic. That included the physical body. That included the material realm. And we as Christians, we need to be more influenced by the God of the Bible. Than the Western philosophers that have gone before us. We are to glorify God and honor him with our physical bodies. Because you are not your own. You are not your own. We are to worship and honor God with our entire being. Amen. All right. So today I'm going to start the sermon series. On wisdom. Well, you know, that was to set it all up for the sermon series. All right. If you feel like wisdom with the, with the physical body, uh, you know, it's optional. You know, I'll, I'll just pick and choose what I like. You know, I like being, you know, I like just eating whatever I want. You know, I, I like just like not exercising. And, you know, I just like popping pills for my, you know, high blood pressure, even though I'm 25 years old. You know, whatever. Like, you know, like people, people may feel like your physical body is the furthest thing away from spirituality. But the Bible teaches that your physical body is part and central to your spirituality. In fact, a Christian that separates your physical body from the realm of spirituality is dead wrong. In fact, next week I'll talk about uh, a passage in Romans that talks about offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm going to break down that Greek for you in ways that you probably never interpreted that verse. Anyway, that's next week. Let me, let me refrain here. So I'm going to start the sermon series. Uh, And today I'm going to talk about uh, wisdom with sleep. Next week I will talk about wisdom wisdom with sex. This is a physical body. And third, wisdom with food and fitness. Oh, snap. I'm going to touch an aspect of your spirituality that no other pastor dare to touch. I'm going to tell it like it is. I don't care, you know, where you're at, how lazy you are, or how good you are, you're going to get it. All right, so we will deal with that. We'll deal with that. We'll, we'll get there 
in a few, few weeks. Today, I'm going to cover wisdom with sleep. Sleep. It takes up so much of our day, about one third to be in particular, 24 hour period, eight hours of that 24 hour period. That's one third. How many of you in here, by a show of hands, you love sleep? You love sleep. I love me some sleep. Mm. If I could sleep longer than eight hours, I'll do it. If I could do 12 hours, I'd do it. All right. Uh, that's the majority of you in here. How many of you in here, you're instead, you're goal-oriented, you're driven, and you wish you could do without sleep or just less of it? You, you, you wish you could do less of sleep, all right? That's more like me, all right? Because I just feel like sleep is so useless. You know, look at all that productivity that's lost. We can, God, we can glorify you and accomplish so much more for your kingdom if you just remove that eight-hour sleep thing that you put into us. So in my mindset, I'm like, man, this, this, we gotta, how can we eliminate sleep somehow? And some of you, you try. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read to you uh, some points from a WebMD article. I will post it on my Facebook page for you. Uh, the title of the article is 10 Things to Hate About Sleep Loss. 10 Things to Hate About Sleep Loss. Now, we naturally don't really have a robust theology of sleep. We don't really think about it. It's an afterthought. And for some of us, it's like, oh, I wish I had more. And for others, it's like, man, I wish I can get rid of it. But we need to have a good theology of sleep. But before we do that, I'm, I'm going to talk about some of the medical scientific evidence of how devastating sleep loss has on your body. All right, I'm going to mention some of these. Number one, sleepiness causes accidents. Drowsiness can slow reaction time as much as driving drunk. You know, we all talk about, you know, don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. You know, but really we should also be addressing people. You know, a lot of action, a lot of times drinking and driving isn't causing most of the fatalities of car accidents in America. It's actually caused by drowsiness. Uh, the National Highway Safe, Traffic Safety Administration in America estimates that fatigue is a cause in 100,000 auto, 100, auto crashes and 1,550 crash-related deaths a year. 1,500 people die each year because somebody behind the wheel didn't get enough sleep. You think we don't have a problem on our hands? That's pretty big. Another thing that WebMD mentions is sleep loss dumbs you down. Dumbs you down. You think, oh, I'm so smart. You know, I'm able to eliminate and go without sleep. You know, I got this cough, uh, coffee. I got this, uh, you know, what, what people, young people drink. Uh, Red Bull. Yeah, Red Bull. Yeah, that's right. I'm sharp. I'm, 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 I'm outsmarting the system. <clears throat> but it says your sleep plays a critical role in thinking and learning. A lack of sleep hurts cognitive processes in many ways. First... It impairs attention, alertness, concentration, reasoning, and problem solving. This makes it more difficult to learn efficiently. Second, during the night, this is very interesting, various sleep cycles play a role in consolidating your memories. Kind of like what Pastor Aaron talked about last week. Not only do you need to process and reflect, you need to sleep. If you don't get enough sleep... You won't, remember, you won't be able to remember what you learned and experienced the previous day. 
In 2009, American and French researchers determined that there are brain events called sharp wave ripples that are responsible for consolidating your memory. The ripples also transfer learned information from the hippocampus, hippocampus to the neocortex of the brain where long-term memories are stored. Sharp wave ripples occur mostly during the deepest levels of sleep. All right? And so sleep loss is literally dumbing you down and impairing your ability to remember things. Uh, another uh, thing that's mentioned here, sleep deprivation can lead to serious health problems. Sleep disorders and chronic sleep loss can put you at risk for the following things. Heart disease. Oh, I got to cut down on, you know, all this fat. I got to cut down on my carbs. I got to cut down. No, you need to get some sleep. (laughs) Heart disease, heart attack, heart failure, irregular heartbeat, high blood pressure, everything to do with the heart. Sleep loss contributes to these types of diseases. A stroke, diabetes, all of this uh, you are put at a higher risk for when you have chronic sleep loss. WebMD also mentions that a lack of sleep kills the sex drive. Your uh, sleep specialists say that sleep-deprived men and women report lower libidos. That's your sex drive and less interest in sex. Well, yeah, obviously, practically, I mean, if you're tired, you know, oh, honey, you want to you, you um, make some love? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> now, practically, it's very hard to get revved up and, you know, want to have sex, you know, if you're tired all the time. But scientifically, uh, uh, the Journal of Clinical Androcrinology and Metabolism in 2002 suggests that many men with sleep apnea. Now, sleep apnea is when you're sleeping you know, and, and, and you stop breathing for prolonged periods. So you, you go to a retreat, you have your neighbor, and they're snoring. You know, and they're like... And you're like, hey, bro, you all right? You all right, bro? You all right? You all right? You all right? You all right? And they, they, they don't even wake up. <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, are they going to die? Okay, that's called sleep apnea. Now, whether you snore or not, there's different people who have, because of different tonsils or whatever, they have sleep apnea issues where they st- stop breathing during the night for those prolonged periods. Well, actually, when you have sleep apnea, it actually prevents your body from going into deep levels of sleep. And so when you don't experience deep sleep, This study showed that men tend to have low testosterone levels, which will contribute to you not being interested in sex. Uh, Sleepiness contributes toward depression. Over time, lack of sleep and sleep disorders can contribute to the symptoms of depression. The most common sleep disorder, insomnia, has the strongest link to depression. In 2007, there was a study of 10,000 people. And those with insomnia were five times as likely to develop depression as those without. In fact, insomnia is often one of the first symptoms of depression, and they kind of feed on each other. Sleep loss aggravates the symptoms of depression, and depression makes it more difficult for you to fall asleep. (coughs) So sleep loss and depression, very much connected. This is something that surprised me, but something that I can testify to. Then this next thing, a lack of sleep ages your skin quicker. Uh, 
most people, you get puffy eyes when you don't sleep for a few days, right? Well, studies have shown that when you don't get enough sleep, your body releases more of the stress hormone called cortisol. And when you have excess amounts of cortisol, uh, it can break down your skin collagens, the protein that keeps your skin smooth and elastic. Go without sleep, and you're going to get them wrinkles real quick. You know, I can say, I can testify to this because when I was a college student at NYU, I didn't sleep. You know, I had that mentality like, sleep is so useless. Let me get as least of it as possible. So, if during my four years at NYU, I think my average time that I slept each night was four to five hours. And I thought I was beating the system. I thought I was getting more time in for fellowship, for study time. Uh, but all of my NYU classmates, my Taiwanese and Chinese friends that are back in New York, they will all tell you because they had class with me. That they can't remember a single lecture where I did not fall asleep. <laughs> so here I am thinking I'm so smart, you know, but I'm sleeping at the most precious times. And what happened also in college was when I went freshman year, I, was, I looked young, you know, fresh 18-year-old. By the time I graduated when I was 22, I remember I was having dinner with a lot of uh, freshmen and sophomores from like Rutgers and NGIT. Some of these students will visit NYU. I would get dinner with this one dude, and this one dude goes, are you a church chondo sanim? I'm like, no, I'm just a student just like you. Well, how, do you how old do you think I am? And he's like, oh, I thought you were 30. And I was like, what? I'm 22. Where did you, where'd you get off and thinking I'm 30? Okay, and I think it was partly the hair loss. <clears throat> but secondly, my, my skin was terrible. My skin was terrible throughout college. And that, part of that was because I wasn't sleeping enough. And part of that was also I didn't discover skincare products that were matching my combination skin type very well. <coughs> That's double. You know, you got to be able to find good product and you got to get enough sleep. Hey, praise God for my sister. She uh, helped me to discover Kiehl's. And uh, after I discovered Kiehl's, my skin actually drastically improved. And so over the years, people keep asking, like, you know, you look younger and younger. Like, I saw my cousins in New York la uh, last month, you know, and I, I looked at my cousin. He's working down in Wall Street, and he's stressed out all the time. You know, he looks like, you know, don't tell anybody, but he looks like he's 50. Like, <laughs> he's probably, like, only 38, 39, whatever. You know, he's, like, he's, like, 40, whatever, right? But he looks like he's 50, you know? <laughs> but he asked me, man, you look younger. What are you doing? You know, what are you doing? And, you know, I sleep. <laughs> go to keels.com and I go to sleep. Yeah. <clears throat> but it affects your skin's uh, aging process. Losing sleep can also make you gain weight. When it comes to body weight, it may be that if you snooze, you lose. Lack of sleep seems to be related to an increase in hunger and appetite, which contributes to obesity. There's a 2004 study which showed that people who, let, who slept six hours a day were almost 30% more likely to become obese than those who slept seven to nine hours. So just one or two more hours of sleep contributed to a person either being healthy or being obese. Because, you know, you know, when you get all tired, you know, it impairs your judgment. And you're just like, oh, no, I'm not hungry. Oh, yeah, I think I am hungry. Well, no, I don't think I can't tell. I'm going to just eat this. <laughs> You know, and you just can't tell if you're really hungry or not. And so 
you know, it's saying here, scientists are finding that sleep loss actually contributes to uncontrollable appetites. Um, lack of sleep may increase your risk of death. There was a British researcher. Uh, British researchers looked at how sleep patterns affected the mortality rate of more than 10,000 British civil servants over two decades. The results were published in 2007. It showed that those who had cut their sleep from seven to five hours or fewer a night nearly doubled their risk of death from all causes. In particular, lack of sleep doubled the risk of death from cardiovascular disease. So, you sleep less, you die. Okay, I think that's pretty, pretty clear from this. <coughs> uh, lastly, I just mentioned that sleep loss impairs judgment, especially about sleep. Uh, studies show that over time, people who are getting six hours of sleep instead of seven or eight begin to feel that they've adapted. They beat the system, that they've gotten used to it. But studies have shown that when they do tests on mental alertness and performance, they continually perform worse than those who've gotten enough sleep. The only thing you've adapted to is a lower mental state. (laughs) Uh, Personal contribution, sleep affects mood. How do I know this? As I'm preparing to be a father in the future, I'm paying more attention to babies. The more I pay attention to babies, the more I realize that parents, they are controlled by their baby's sleep schedule. And the reason why they are so committed to the baby's sleep schedule is because when that baby does not get enough sleep, what happens? The baby gets cranky. And no matter how much you comfort that baby, the baby is And you're like, come on, baby. It's all right. I fed you. I changed your diaper. What's wrong? Baby's tired, but the baby don't know, like, I'm tired, you know, so this crying and crying keeps the baby up, which aggravates, you know, the, the, the mood even worse, you know, but the thing is, the funny thing is, not only do you see this in babies, but you see this in adults, <laughs> right? Sleep loss affects the mood of many adults, you know? They come into work, you know, they ain't get enough sleep, drink their coffee, or even the coffee, you know, maybe they're, they're kind of inoculated to the coffee. It's not working as much. And like, hey, are you having a bad day? Something happened to you? And it's just like, no, I don't know why I feel like this. I don't like you today. <laughs> you know, it's just like, what's wrong with you? It's because sleep loss affects mood. Now, let's go back to the Bible. Uh, these are some of the negative effects that scientists have clearly observed about a lack of sleep. So sleep is much more important than you think, just medically, physically. You need to respect sleep. Everybody say, I need to respect sleep. sleep. Here's the thing about God. God never sleeps. He can choose to rest, but he doesn't have to. So you don't ever have to have this theology of when you go to sleep, God goes to sleep. No, you know? Like, you don't have to worry because let's say, you know, your cousins are on the other side of the world. And the moment you go to sleep, they awake. And if God is asleep, then, you know, then maybe our cousins won't get the protection from God that they need. No, that's a, that's a whack. Okay, God doesn't sleep. He doesn't need to sleep, but if he can choose to rest, but he doesn't have to. Now, God designed sleep. Now, on the other hand, for us, God designed it so that we must sleep. And we must do it. Every single day. <clears throat> now think about it. In God's design, he could have done it 
where we need sleep only once every three days. Imagine a world like that. Wouldn't that be incredible? You know, forget, you know, 24-hour period. You know, we're thinking 72-hour period. It's like, hey, I'll see you, you know, tonight at 3 a.m. You know, you can, you can book, like, appointments, you know, from 9 a.m. all the way to, you know, 9 p.m. And then you take a little break and you go through 3 a.m., you know. That'd be awesome. But God did not choose to design it that way. Nope, he made us sleep every single day. And if anything... Sleep is a daily reminder that God is God and we are not. No matter how successful or powerful you become, God says, it's time to sleep. (laughs) I'm in charge. Now, in the Bible, there are some major events that took place during sleep. When Adam went into a deep sleep, the Bible says woman was created. That's historic right there. That's one of the most amazing things that happened during the sleep time (laughs) in all of human history. Uh, In Genesis 15, Abraham went into a deep sleep and he got this vision of of God making a covenant with him and God telling him that the Israelites will be enslaved, a nation they don't know for 400 years. But eventually God will deliver them. Uh, Jacob, he went to sleep and he saw a stairway to heaven. Angels ascending and descending from heaven onto earth. Daniel went to sleep, and he got a vision of the end times. So, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of, you know, you think sleep is useless. But, you know, a lot of things can take place during sleep. Not only your refreshment and your recuperation and your consolidation of memories, but also God can do things while you sleep. He can give you a dream regarding your future. He can give you a warning regarding your future. You know? <clears throat> now, We are forced to sleep each day by God's design. But because we live in a fallen world full of sin, good sleep is not always easy to come by. Thus, the scripture talks about sleep being a gift. Not only is sleep God's design, but sleep is also, in a world of sin, God's gift. Psalm 27, verse 2. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants Sleep to those he loves. How many of you, you believe God loves you? Because in Christ, you've been redeemed from your sin. You believe God loves you. You believe God loves you. Then you got to understand, God grants sleep to those he loves. Stop treating sleep like this foreign, evil thing. A useless thing. God actually says, when you try to master my design... And go without sleep, you do it all in vain. You rise early, sleep late. But look, check this out. I grant sleep to those I love. It's a gift. In fact, you can be much more productive if you get enough sleep rather than if you try to play God and kind of go with the hours and get less sleep. You'll be much more productive because you'll be mentally sharp and physically healthy. But we got to be careful with this gift because as with any good thing, that we receive from God, there can be too much of a good thing. So the Bible addresses this as well. Psalm 6, 9 through 11, and Proverbs, I mean, not Psalms, Proverbs 6, 9 through 11, and Proverbs 24, verse 33, it says this. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? This is the majority of the people who raised their hands earlier that said, I love sleep. This is you right here. You need to listen to this word. 
Proverbs 6.10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a bandit. And scarcity like an armed man. In other words, you, know, you ever been robbed on the streets? All right. That's, that's poverty is going to do that to you. If you continue to love sleep. I love this gift that God has given me. I love God's design. Okay, you love it too much. Then you're going to be poor. You're going to be using food coupons and, and living at home with your parents. All right. You don't want that. All right. Proverbs 20 verse 13 also warns us. Do not love sleep. All right. There you go. Okay. So earlier you said you love, you can like it. Okay. But don't love it. Don't like, don't indulge in it. Don't mm, I love it. Okay. Don't do that. Because Proverbs 20:13 says, Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. You know, <clears throat> this is not a judgment on some of the missions fields that I've been on. But it may sound like that. So just uh, understand that it is not judgment against the missions fields that I've been on. But certain countries I've been on in Southeast Asia, a particular country where a lot, there's a lot of women leaders, I, won't, I will remain in that country unnamed. If you go through the country, you will be so surprised. The women do all the work in the country. And the men, they don't take their unemployment among the men is like super high. And you think, oh, no, that can't be true. Actually, there's two countries I'm thinking of right now. But you go through the countryside and we're doing ministry. We're stopping by each village. We're asking, what do your father do? What does your father do? Nothing. He can't find a job. All right. So can he just take any old job he can find? Well, no, he, he wants to wait for the right one. Well, how long has he been waiting? Five years. You're telling me your daddy has not been working for five years? What is wrong with them? Right? And, and, and all the women, they're out, you know, housekeeping, uh, janitors, you know, they're doing any job they can find. And the men are doing dilly squat. You know what they do? They play cards and they sleep all day. I kid you not. That's exactly what I saw. And that is the manifestation of a culture that of men that love sleep and, and carts too much. And guess what? Their poverty is on their own heads. They could, they could take steps to come out of that poverty. Maybe because of the system, there's oppression and there's not many opportunities. But they could do a little bit more than what they're doing. I was appalled at that. And so the, the Protestant work ethic was a result of the Reformation. And it had an effect on the entire Western economy. We have, we, we, we as, uh, you know, college educated adults here, we all are a product of the Protestant work ethic. Whether you know it or not, you have that Protestant work ethic in you. Some of you are thinking, you know, maybe it's just a Korean work ethic. Maybe it is. I'm a Korean or whatever. But it is influenced by the Reformation. It's influenced, what am I saying? By the gospel. The gospel causes us to, to receive grace. And then to live our lives in response to that grace with thanksgiving. We don't do good works to earn our salvation. We do it because we already have it. <clears throat> now, in a world, in a fallen world where good sleep is hard to come by, how do we gain good sleep? I will give you three practical solutions. How do we gain good sleep? You know, you might be thinking, I've given up on sleep. You know, I, I, I respect it. I want it, but I can't get it. It's elusive. And in the middle of the night, I got, I got, you know, I got a const, I constantly wake up and constantly tossing and turning. I pain in my back and a pain in my legs, you know, crazy neighborhood cat waking me up. 
right? You might be like, I've given up on sleep, but check that. How do you gain good sleep? Three things. Number one, look at Proverbs chapter 3. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to read 21 to 24. Now, the whole first part of chapter 3 of Proverbs is talking about wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Need not own your own understanding. Right? In all your ways, acknowledge him. Depend on God's wisdom, not just your own understanding. And so it's talking about wisdom. And you get to verse 21. Read with me, verse 21 to 24. It says, my son, do not lose sight of these. It's talking about wisdom. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. (laughs) Say, your sleep will be sweet. Some of y'all were tempted to go, sweet, right? Uh, The Bible talks about, number one, how do you gain good sleep? Walk in wisdom. Read the word of God and obey the word of God. And concentrate to apply the principles contained in the word of God, the wisdom contained in the word of God. Walk in those ways. And if you do, what does it say? You will walk securely. You will not stumble. You will not be afraid when you lie down. And when you do lie down, you will get some sweet sleep. <clears throat> a person who walks in foolishness all day, when they go to bed, they're thinking about how foolish they were all day. <laughs> they got regrets all over their mind. You know, they think, oh, that was a good laugh, but was it worth it? You know, and, and, and all this kind of food. But when you walk in wisdom, you go to sleep. You're like, yeah, that's right. I'm walking in the ways of the Lord. I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to prosper. That's right. I'm going to sleep sweet tonight. God will grant you sweet sleep if you will continue to hold to wisdom. So number one, walk in wisdom. <coughs> number two, very practical. Form better sleep habits. Okay. Form better sleep habits. If you go to WebMD, there's an article called 20 Tips for Better Sleep. I will post it on my Facebook page. All right. It's facebook.com slash PSTR Christian. All right. Pastor Christian. PSTR Christian. Uh, I'll, re- I'll post these articles upcoming week. You can read these uh, two practical articles. But obviously, this is just a portion of the entire solution. But this is an important portion because some people, they just have very bad sleep uh, habits. Uh, and so uh, this WebMD article talks about. Uh, forming better sleep habits, you got to avoid caffeine in the afternoon because caffeine interferes with your deeper stages of sleep. So even though you're sleeping through the night, you're actually not because, you know, your heart starts slowed down, but the caffeine kicks in and just starts pumping you back up. So although you're going deeper, you keep coming back up and your body keeps going. Deep. It's like the sleep apnea effect, you know. Uh, if you want to wake early and uh, get enough rest, here's a little revelation for you that hit me a few years ago. You want to wake up early with enough rest? Then sleep early. Oh, hallelujah. Y'all just got set free right there. 
You want to wake early, sleep early. You want to get enough rest, sleep early. But a lot of times throughout my, my college years, I could not make that connection for some reason. <clears throat> I always slept at uh, average 2.30 to 3 a.m. From when I was 18 till I was married. <laughs> and when I got married my first two years, I was still sleeping at 2 a.m. And then recently, in the last four years, my average has been from 1 a.m. to midnight. And so I'm working right now on sleeping before midnight each day. All right, so it's been a hard journey, kind of breaking off these bad habits. But let that just sink in. College students in here, you think you can beat the system? You think you can beat God's design? But remember, sleep is a daily reminder. God's saying to you, I'm God, and you ain't. So go to sleep. All right. You can't beat that. You cannot, you can try to beat it, but it's going to have all kinds of weird consequences on your physical body, on your mental state, on your spirituality. If you want to honor God and you believe you are not your own, then you got to learn how to steward your body by giving it enough rest. Uh, use a leg pillow. Very practical advice that a lot of people are not aware of. I had back problems when I was in high school after a traffic, a car accident. And one of the things that I read on the internet was you use a leg pillow between your legs. Just a flat pillow, just puffy enough for you, you get a little separation between your legs. Because when you sleep on your side, okay, and your legs are together and your hips are all twisted up, okay, like during the middle of the night, blood ain't flowing through there and it's going to wake you up. And you go, and you switch positions. <laughs> and then your other leg gets numb, you know. <clears throat> use a, uh, use a um, leg pillow. You can do it between your legs or you can put it right underneath your knees if you're sleeping on your back. And for people who have bad backs, it makes a huge difference. Use a flatter pillow for your head and use a leg pillow for your legs. Uh, another thing is use yellow lights two to three hours before bedtime. Okay, these are white lights and these are yellow lights. You see that? Okay, now many of you don't know the difference. Uh, incandescent lights and fluorescent lights. Okay, so if those who are in photography and video, you know, if you want a warm, like friendly feel to a picture, you use yellow lights because it gives you that warmth. But if you want like detail and like you know, like in your face, you gotta use more the bluish white lights. Okay. Now here's the thing about your body: white lights resemble more like the sun because of its intensity. But yellow lights, it helps your body to slow down your internal clock. When you look at yellow, if we turn off all the uh, white lights right now, you can turn off the, all the white lights right now for a second, all right? <clears throat> Let me show y'all how powerful this little device is. Okay, so you turn off all the white lights. You got to turn off this one right here. All right, you see, you see that? Okay, you feel like, do I, do I look friendlier to you? Warmth. I just feel that warmth. Well, if you continue with these lights for the next two hours, your body will start to slow down. And it'll start to prepare itself for sleep. And when you put your head on the pillow, you'll be out. Okay, you can turn back on. <coughs> uh, and so that's a little trick, is use yellow lights. So apartments that are built smart, they actually have two light systems. The white light system and the yellow light system. So... My last apartment had that, you know, so when we were going to bed, we always turn on the yellow lights and we'd leave that on for two hours, you know, uh, stick with a regular sleep schedule. You know, don't vary up that schedule. If you sleep regularly, then your body will adjust very regularly. 
have a wind down routine, whether it's drinking a cup of chamomile tea uh, or a glass of warm milk or whether MD mentioned taking a bubble bath. I don't think anybody wants to take a bubble bath every single day. Okay. So just drink a cup of tea. All right. That'll be good enough for you. Have a wind down routine where you do not bring your laptop into the bed. Where you do not get on Facebook on your smartphone while you are in bed. All those things jump starts your cycle again. And then now you got to fight to slow, slow yourself down. And you're wondering, oh, you know, why am I not sleeping till 2 a.m.? It's because you're, you're bringing all these laptops and things into your bed. Uh, finish exercise three to four hours before bedtime. Depends on your body. Uh, avoid late meals. And my personal favorite, which Aaron, Pastor Aaron and I, we swear by today, is use earplugs. Okay, last apartment we were at, beautiful apartment. You know, we paid extra out of our own personal cash to stay at that apartment. Beautiful apartment. It's that one problem. It was built right next to a, like a eight-track train tracks at Shindonim Station. So there's KTX trains, Mugunga trains, uh, Semar trains, all the, all the trains, plus the subway going both directions. And you know how often the subway comes, right, to Shindonim? It's like every 45 seconds there's a subway during rush hour. Okay? And so... I've lived, I'm not lived, but I've been in houses next to trains. And it's pretty loud. Your whole house could even shake. But, but, to have it happen every 20, 30 seconds, a new train coming through. It felt like when we're trying to go to sleep for the first month, it felt like we were sleeping right next to the train tracks. And so it was not just a problem at night. It was a problem in the morning. And not only in the morning, but whenever we watched TV, no matter how hot it was, we would have to close those windows because we could not hear ourselves. We could not hear the TV. Pastor Benjamin would come over, you know, and Pastor Daniels would be coming over, and they'd start prophesying. Pastor Christian, the Lord says, I'm like, oh, curse the trains. You know, I, was got, I got so angry. And so what I did was I researched on the Amazon what are the best earplugs. And there are these earplugs called Heroes earplugs. Okay, it has the highest rating on Amazon. And so Aaron and I, we just bought out a whole bunch. And we're like, oh, this is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. <laughs> we got used to it with the quickness. And even though we've moved now to a quiet neighborhood, we still use it every day. So it actually pre- prevents any kind of disturb, disturb sleep. Okay, now the downside is if one of y'all has an emergency and y'all trying to call me at 3 in the morning... Okay, I might not hear you, okay? But just trust in the Lord. In the morning, we'll come rescue and salvation. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, those are some practical, form better sleep habits. So go on to that article, you know, apply some of those tips, and that might really help you. But third uh, is deal with the issues of the heart. If you want to gain better sleep, you got to deal with the issues of the heart. Psalm 4 verse 8 in the NIV, it says, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you, O Lord, you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down, make me dwell in safety. So the psalmist says here, I will sleep in peace. Why? How? Because the Lord alone makes you dwell in safety. 
So this psalmist understood that sleep was connected to spirituality. If things are right with God, if there are issues that are unresolved in the heart and they're dealt with, God is the one who causes you to dwell in safety. You can sleep in peace when you lie down. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you today is sleep is an act of faith. It has everything to do with your spirituality. Your sleep patterns and habits have to do with your faith. Let me explain. When we have certain issues of the heart, one of the first things that we lose is sleep. Now, don't get me wrong. There are situations at your workplace where you may have to make sacrifice and um, not sleep to meet a certain deadline. But when this becomes a pattern and it becomes perpetual, it becomes continual, it is often indicative of a heart issue. A lack of faith, a lack of trust in God issue. Because you lack trust in God to provide for you, out of your fear and anxiety, you overwork to provide for yourself. Even though you're a Christian and you're supposed to believe that God is your father. And if he does not allow the sparrows to fall and the flowers of the field are are, are clothed beautifully like these, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Remember, Jesus connected worrying and anxiety with faith. And a lot of times, worry and anxiety is connected with sleep loss. And so sleep has everything to do with issues of the heart. It has everything to do with faith. We got to get this. We got to connect this for us to be able to see sleep as a act of worship, act of trust. As a, as a aspect of our spirituality. Now there are three kinds of heart issues. I could identify very quickly off the top of my head that could prevent, uh, that could cause sleep loss. Three kinds of heart issues, unconfessed sin, unprocessed emotions, very much to do with last week's message my my wife gave, and third is idolatry. Let me break these down for you. Three kinds of heart issues, unconfessed sin. When you have unconfessed sin in your relationship with God, or if you're not a Christian and you don't have a relationship with God, you probably, this is what you live with day to day. But as a Christian... You can also experience temporary moments where you have unconfessed sin. You know what unconfessed sin will often result in? It will result in guilt and shame. And this type of alienation, separation from God, even though you're not supposed to live in that alienation, you're supposed to live under the love of God. But when you have unconfessed sins in your life, it separates you from God, from his fellowship. Not from your permanent relationship in Christ, but from your experience of that love, it separates you when you have unconfessed sin. And so there results in guilt and shame. And all we need to do with unconfessed sin is just confess it. Very easy solution. So if you're in here and you're a college student and let's say you haven't been to church in a while. In fact, you came to Korea on Yonsei Exchange to party it up. And let me tell you, it's been fun. I've been partying it up. Hongdae, Club MB. Noise basement, that's what it stands for, y'all. <laughs> you know, I came to party it up, forget church. I'll go back to church when I go back to New Jersey. <laughs> they don't got Club MB in New Jersey. Let me live it up. Um, and maybe you came and you have this alienation from God because you, you're not ready to make right with God. But let me tell you, this could be affecting your sleep. 
And if it's affecting your sleep, it could be affecting your relationships. It could be affecting your ability to make a sound judgment uh, decisions. You might end up uh, hooking up with a girl romantically that you normally wouldn't. You know what I'm saying? Because of sleep loss. <laughs> Come on, think about that. Not only, uh, not only is it caused by drunkenness, but remember, sleep loss is uh, just as impairing as drinking and driving. So you got, you got all these kids, you're like, I'm, I'm good, I'm not drinking no alcohol. But you're not getting enough sleep. So you're like, you know, in the lights, you're like, oh, she don't look that good. But man, oh, actually, she's kind of cute. And you know, you're hooking up with people that you normally wouldn't hook up with. All because of sleep loss. <laughs> Which goes back to your undealt with conf- unconfessed sins in your heart. <clears throat> so whatever it is you've done or whatever it is you feel guilty about, or, you know, you, you committed some sexual sin or you got involved in some debauchery or some violence or whatever, you know, whatever you're, 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 you have sin in your life, confess your sins. First John 1 John 1.9 promises that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that says? It says that the good news of Jesus Christ is you are already forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. And your ability to experience that forgiveness hinges on whether you confess and you're honest with God about those sins. So don't live under a lie where you feel guilt and shame. Live under the truth where you are forgiven. And the way you live under the truth is you confess your sins and you're honest with God about them. And God says, through the blood of Christ, I've forgiven you. And I want you to live under that forgiveness. And you know what? No matter how many mistakes you've made, I'm giving you a new beginning today. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Second is unprocessed emotions. This is oftentimes... Uh, when you have interpersonal conflict and you either ignore it, oh, that, that, that boy's corny, whatever, that boy crazy, forget him, you know, and, you know, he, he really offended you, but you're just like, man, forget him. And you don't, you don't process the emotions. And there could be anger, there can be bitterness, there can be hurt and offense. And when you have unprocessed emotions, let me tell you, oh man, it's the same thing as, as drinking like, like a 12-pack of Red Bull before you go to sleep. Okay, that thing is going to keep you up unnecessarily. And so if you know of some kind of interpersonal conflict that offended you, then get upset. It's not a, a sin to get angry. Get upset. Acknowledge what was done. If, if it's supposed to make you angry, you should get angry. Acknowledge those emotions. Process those emotions. And then, now you're ready to forgive. You can't forgive somebody over something you haven't even acknowledged. I don't care about that. I forgive him. I forgive him. That's not forgiveness. It's like what this person, let me tell you about what this person did to me. God, let me tell you about what this person did to me. This person dissed me. We're supposed to go out to Club MB. They didn't even show up. <laughs> then they all texted me, said, come out to Icha at Norebang. And they went to Norebang. I was singing by myself. You know, and, and, you know, I got all this offense. Let me tell you, God, about all this hurt that I got from my friends who I thought were, you know, my Yonsei crew. You know, your Yonsei exchange crew from California, all the UC schools. Yeah. And they left me in Mopo by myself. <laughs> you know, I couldn't even find my way back. And you, know, you got all this offense in your heart. Tell God about it. God, I've been offended. I can't believe they hurt me like that. They betrayed me. I thought that we were down. But now that I, I'm thinking they don't even like me. All this stuff. You know, and you acknowledge the anger. You acknowledge the hurt. 
And then you say, God, but because as, as a person who's received your forgiveness, I now choose to forgive them. Life is just too short to hold this against all those people. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to take the high road. I'm not going to treat them the way they treated me. I'm going to treat them better than the way they treated me because I have Christ living in me. You know, you, you got to process your emotions. And when you do that, you're able to get that good, sweet sleep. Third is hidden idolatry. Uh, it's probably pretty heavy to, to, to land on, but I'm going to land on it. Heavy, hidden idolatry. <clears throat> Martin Luther uh, had a theology where he took the first of the Ten Commandments. What's the first of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, That's the first of the Ten Commandments. And he said that the call to believe in Jesus alone for our justification are essentially the same thing. Okay? You should have no other gods before me. And you, Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. They're essentially the same thing. Because it is demanding that you acknowledge God for who he is. And that you trust in him alone, not only for your justification and your salvation, but to trust in him, in him alone for all your entirety of your life. How you live your life. There's a lot of implications for you receiving the message of the gospel of justification by faith alone, through grace, through, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone. There's implications of that. And the implications are that you are to have no other gods before him in all aspects of your life. You are to trust no one else for your salvation, for your healing, for your sense of significance than, than Christ alone. So Martin Luther had this kind of theology. And Luther says that this essentially means... Since I am God and you are not, put all your confidence, trust, and faith in me alone and no one else. This means that anything we look to other than Christ for our sense of stability, acceptability, our sense of joy, significance, hope, anything else we look to for these things other than Christ is by definition our God. That's what Martin Luther thought. And he says that these things become things that we adore and we serve and we depend on more than we depend on Christ. And when you have these hidden idols in your life, and most of the times these idols are good things, by the way. You know, it's things like family, your work achievement, your career, your uh, romantic relationship, your gifts and talents, even uh, ministry, full-time ministry. You know, all these things are good things, but when good things turn into ultimate things, and we got to have it. That's when we are now dealing with hidden idols in our hearts. Now, idolatry can manifest in anxiety, fear, depression, etc. You know, when you put someone other than Christ on the throne of your life, or you, uh, you look to anything else other than Christ for your sense of significance and worth, when those idols get thwarted, it's going to result in disillusionment. It's going to result in depression. But here's the thing. Here's the, here's the logical, rational part. Those idols, they have no ability to deliver on the things that you're expecting from them. Your job, your career cannot give you a stable sense of significance. It can't even give you financial security. Oh, let me tell you, Pastor Christian, you know, I'm, I'm going to join a hedge fund. And I'm going to make millions of dollars on my friend. I'm going to have security. Uh, I'm going I'm I'm to be driven to get this hedge fund job. I'm going to be making millions. So what you're talking about, I'm not going to get no security. I'm going to do everything I can to get this job and to establish this career. 
Because I need to have security. Because when I was growing up, I grew up in the ghetto. And my parents, they were working, uh, selling fried chicken down in Baltimore. And it was a dangerous place to be. And I, I lived with that insecurity all my life. And I want some security in my future. And it's a young man. I'm sorry about the fried chicken store. <laughs> but nobody can give you that security but Christ alone. You look to this hedge fund. And let's say there's another economic recession. You might find yourself devastated. By this false idol that cannot deliver what you're trusting it for. If you're at work and you're overworking and you can't get enough sleep. It may be because you're trying to play the role of Jesus. You're trying to play the role of Savior and Lord over your own life. By earning for yourself everything. When Christ is the one who should be providing all things. You're trying to, you, you have the sense of uh, insecurity, like you're going to lose it. Or you're, you're going to lose the job offer. Or you're going to lose this job promotion. Or you're going to lose your job. And you start to not sleep. You start to sacrifice sleep to overwork. And if you're doing that continually, it may be because you're putting yourself on that throne. And you're trying, you're trying to play the role of savior. Look, you can't do that. You don't even have the ability to d- deliver. Only Jesus can. That's like a works-based faith rather than a grace-based one. Or uh, if you're getting overworked at work and you can't get enough sleep, it might be because your boss is pimping you for your gifts and manipulating and controlling you. If that's happening, you need to confront your boss. You shouldn't be letting that happen. Or you are driven by an idol, and your idol is success, money, social status. I see those guys at Apku, Cheongdam, Gangnam, you know? I see all them people living, living large, driving Mercedes Benz and Audis and Beamers. That's me. I want that social status. I want the, the big car, the big apartment, two kids, nice stroller, <laughs> the stocky, the stocky or stocky, or you know, the Koreans love that. You know, everyone who has a stocky stroller in Korea, it's all about, like, status symbol. They can't even afford that thing. It's $1,000. It it's not even the best one out there from my research. <laughs> I found a good uh, British-German brand called Brightax, right? It's, it's a real good one. But it's not even as good as Brightax, but it's $1,000. But it's all Koreans, they insist on having it. You know, they live in a little tiny little apartment driving a little, uh, you know, 1998 Hyundai, 1988 Hyundai, whatever. You know, them old cars, you know, and they got a stocky. Because they're serving this idol of social status. And they're willing to give whatever it takes. Even though they can't even afford it. They're going to debt to get a stoke. What kind of? What is that? Just get yourself a Graco or whatever. You know, one of the other brands. A Korean brand. All right. Anyways, I don't know how to go into strollers. <clears throat> uh, don't strive and, and serve an idol that cannot give you the security, worth, status, and significance you're looking for. Only Christ can give you that. Amen? You know, you know, there are people in church, church leaders. They advise um, young people who have dreams to go into arts and entertainment. A lot of times they'll be like, you know, don't go into arts and Don't go to Hollywood. That's like Solomon Gomorrah. You know? Don't go to Las Vegas. You know, don't, don't go into music industry. It's all kinds of occultism and sexual immorality there. Manipulation. Don't, don't fall into that. You know? And uh, personally... I don't think that's the answer. We, we got we to have good, strong Christians in these places. 
and influencing and discipling the nations through these various places. Now, you got to have a gift and the face <laughs> and the favor. Anyway, you got you to you have, it can't be all works. Like, you know, it, it, it's got to be grace there. If there's no momentum for you to go into it, you know, after a few years, you might want to just go into something else. And that's okay. God can always open up that door if, that's, if it's meant to be. But, you know, a lot of times people are like, no, don't go into the Hollywood because, you know, you're going you're gonna, to you know, sell your soul to the devil. <clears throat> Personally, I, I, I understand those concerns. And I would want young Christians not to go into Hollywood too soon. But if I have discipled a young person who has a strong sense of significance that's rooted in the love of Christ, and they are in a habit of centering themselves on that sense of significance and not on getting that career, not on getting a million Twitter fans. You know, like if they're centered on Christ and that's strong, then by all means, go to Hollywood and make some damage. Hopefully you have the face and the talent and the favor. Don't waste my time. I don't want to send you and you do do nothing with it. You know, it's got to be some momentum there. But I'm all for sending you, but, but when and if you're strongly established in the love of God. You know, it's not an issue of yes or no. It's about when. And, you know, Christians need to stop cocooning themselves off from the world. We need to infiltrate and we need to influence the world. But it's got to be when Christians are mature enough to be able to take that heat and not compromise. I'm close with this. You know... <clears throat> Sleep loss, sleeplessness, and what I'm ending with is sleeplessness is symptomatic. What, am I, what do I mean by that? Sleeplessness is oftentimes a symptom, oftentimes, of a deeper heart issue. So don't those, when, you, when you find yourself dealing with insomnia or sleeplessness, don't just deal with that issue. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there is a deeper issue. And as he reveals it, with the help of your community group leaders, your Emmaus staff, or your pastors, get the help you need to get healed, to get set free, to get your mind renewed, and deal with the root, not with the symptom. You go to a good doctor anywhere in the world, they're going to check your symptoms. You know, they take your heartbeat, they, 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 they put a thing on your in your tongue to look at your tonsils and look at your ear and take your temperature what are, what are they doing they're observing your symptoms but a good doctor is not going to just treat your symptoms the doctor is going to try to look for the root now on the other hand a bad doctor he may see some symptoms and want to do a shortcut he just wants to get rid of you so even though you have, let's say you contract the Ebola because you were traveling through Africa and the this, and this fever didn't set in until you already entered into Korea so the quarantine people didn't, didn't catch you and you're in here and you go to a Korean doctor and the Korean doctor is like, oh, you got a headache and you got some bleeding coming out your mouth. All right, here's some medicine for the bleeding in your mouth. Here's a medicine for your headache. That's a bad doctor. You can die from Ebola one week from now. But a bad doctor is only going to treat the symptoms. Not the disease. Well, sleeplessness, Jesus is a good doctor. He's a good physician. And when he sees sleeplessness and insomnia and patterns like that in your life, he's not going to want you to just treat the symptoms. He wants to deal with the root. Now, temporarily, you might do whatever you need to do 
to try to get more sleep. I would recommend that. But don't let a temporary solution become your permanent one. Because let me share with you a little um, analogy Tim Keller shares. Imagine that a baby bird falls from its nest into the sight lines of a fox. The bird cannot yet fly. But there is a small protective hole at the base of the tree that is within a scurry's reach. The fox pounces and sets out for the bird. What should the little bird do? Of course, it should scamper into the hole to get out of the immediate danger. But if as time goes on, all the bird ever does is scamper, it will never learn what it has been designed for. To fly. And eventually, it will surely be eaten by the predators that it is designed to escape. So in the short run, we should try to get our sleep. You know, if you're, if you're struggling with sleep loss, try to get your sleep, get some better habits, you know, use the yellow lights, use some earplugs, do what you got to do to get your sleep. But in the long run, the ultimate way for you to deal with that issue, if it is symptomatic of a heart issue, is for you to get down to the heart issue. Ask the Holy Spirit to highlight things that you have not dealt with, unconfessed sins, unprocessed emotions, for unforgiveness. Or just idolatry that's hidden there. Deal with that. And the Lord will grant you sweet sleep all the days of your life. Amen? I said I was going to end with that, but I'm going to end with this. Sorry. I'm just, I've already gone way over, so just stick with me, all right? Most of y'all are with me. A couple of y'all didn't get enough sleep last night, all right? I'm not going to point y'all out, but you need to get some more sleep. Look how it's affecting you. It's taking away your spiritual heritage. The spiritual nourishment you should be receiving on Sunday service. Y'all need to get some better sleep. Use some earplugs or something. Uh, In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, it says that one day Jesus said to his disciples, Hey, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Stay in this boat. Uh, so, uh, So they got into the boat and they set out. And while they were on the boat on the lake, a huge storm came about. And they were in great danger. But the Bible tells us that Jesus, during the storm, he was sleeping. So the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown! Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided. And all was calm. All was well. And it's very, very interesting the first thing Jesus said. Where is your faith? And we look at that story and we're going, Jesus, you crazy. There was a storm. I mean, faith. Look, it's just all practical. We need to live. And you helped us to live by calming down that storm. But Jesus, think about that. Where is your faith? He looked at the anxiety, the fear of these disciples. I mean, if they were in a place of faith where they trusted the Lord to save and they trusted the Lord to, 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 to save them, they could have you know, been like, oh, man, these are getting pretty bad. Somebody get Jesus. You know? And one of the disciples could have just gone down to Jesus. Hey, Jesus. Um, Jesus? 
I'm, I'm so sorry I woke you up, Jesus. But uh, we're about to die. <laughs> um, can you do what you do? You know, you know, I, you know we, we trust you as the savior of the world. So you need to, to be the savior of the boat right now. <laughs> Let's help us out, Jesus. You know, if Jesus saw that, he would have been like, all right, that, now you got it. He's gone up, you know, calm down. And then save and they're be like all right let's go get some fish or let's eat or something you know but when he saw how the disciples responded here he was like the first thing he thought of was man have i not been with you for so long and you act like little punks running around like little roaches that are about to get squashed or something <laughs> did i not tell you my father loves you and his eye is on the sparrow he dresses the lilies of the field. Do not worry, you of little faith. Where is your faith? This whole thing was a setup, by the way. <laughs> I told you to get in the boat because I saw the weather forecast that a storm was coming. I wanted y'all to get into this storm. And I wanted to see what y'all were doing. In fact, I wasn't even sleeping. I was sleep. I was faking that sleep. <laughs> and I heard what y'all were saying. Y'all were saying all kinds of crazy things like, Jesus don't care. He's sleeping down there. Why are you saying stuff like that? I heard everything. <laughs> Where is your faith? For Jesus in that moment, he has sweet sleep because he trusted the Father. What am I trying to say? No matter what storms of life you might face, crises that might come across your path, you trust in Jesus and you can have Daily sweet sleep. And you can go to sleep. Not filled with fear and anxiety. But understanding that Jesus is Lord. He's on that throne. And when you call on him. He will surely answer in his perfect timing. Many times God delivers us anyway. But it's all that unnecessary stress and anxiety we go through in between. That really just breaks his heart. Let us connect how sleep is connected with faith and spirituality. And I want to encourage everybody in here. All right. Get some good sleep every single night. Get some good habits under your belt. And deal with any heart issues that might be preventing you from getting that sleep you need. Let's pray.